0: So I'm here with Karen and Elena uh, as good friends from Hong Kong, but from different uh, places and nationalities, I have to say, because, you know, bringing in the whole multicultural lens onto uh, talking about Hong Kong or or feeling displaced or feeling like the sense of freedom is taken away from us, it it does make a difference. So I wanted to bring in a little bit more of your uh, context of who you are. So Karen, you grew up in Australia and Elena, California, Um, maybe add a little bit more about your upbringing, how that might have shaped your views of, um, I guess we're talking about freedom and we're talking about kind of like dealing with unstable ground, if you will. So maybe give a little bit of that background of yours. One second.
1: I'll tell sure. Jackie. Sure. Okay.
0: So uh, I grew up in
2: California. That is correct. I, I, my, I'm first generation Mexican American. Um, my parents had immigrated from Mexico to. The US, uh, before, of course, before they got married and et cetera. And as I grew up, I was very, very much aware of the fact that I was uh, an immigrant or a child of immigrants. And um, living in California, even though there's a huge Hispanic uh, population, you know, still felt a little. you know, like, I that I didn't necessarily maybe didn't completely belong. I did as long as I was in my neighborhood, you know, mm. uh, uh, but I knew, of course, I was a, an American citizen. And as we grew up, we would visit Mexico a lot, which was a really nice way of uh, being in touch with my culture, you know, and the language and whatnot. And, I just never thought when I lived in California that I would ever leave California, my family alone, because you're in the Hispanic families, you're so tight knit that you never leave. There when it kind of comes and they all, you know, mom lives down the street. Your brother lives across the street. You know, your sister lives, et cetera. Um, and leaving to New York after I married uh, my husband was a huge shift. Um, and that felt like a foreign country. And then leaving from New York to live in Hong Kong, was another, I don't know, it was more like of an adventure. Oh, and in between, by the way, while I was in high school, I actually did live in Mexico City for a year while I attended university. So I had a little bit of that in me already to not be afraid to venture out. Um, Of course, leaving from California to Mexico was a lot different than leaving California to live in New York City and then leaving New York City to live in Hong Kong. Uh, Now, of course, when uh, my husband and I left to live in Hong Kong, it was just the two of us. We didn't have children. So and we were still, you know, we were still young. We were in our early 30s. And you you go and it's an adventure. And Hmm. it was Hmm. a fantastic adventure. I think you first have to have a certain I think, type of um, attitude to be able to become an expat, not be afraid of that change, not be afraid of not fitting in and making it work Um, and and staying, of course, busy. Uh, I met probably the most fantastic, most interesting people that had ever met living in Asia. And we were supposed to be there only for two years or three years. And this is what happens with a lot of expats. Uh, They end up liking it so much, they end up staying. Um, They find ways of making it work and staying because there were so many privileges of living as an expat In a place like hong kong which is fantastic it's definitely a first class city and i could say that from having had the experience of growing up in los angeles and living in los angeles living in mexico city another fantastic city living in new york city but i can tell you living in hong kong was like nothing i'd ever experienced before we lived there for almost 15 years had our three children there and i'm i feel so privileged to have had the opportunity to live there and I and I and I love Asia you know I yeah. just I just learned to love Asia the culture and I've made great friends I'm still great friends with a lot of people like yourselves which I ladies I love so much um
0: and, and you can like- travel you can like hop on a plane and go to another country for a weekend
2: yes yes <laughs> yeah, <I> used to <laughs> so it was it was a fantastic privilege and it, and it does make me sad I, when you when we went on break i asked karen and karen is this making you sad mm. about hong kong and she said yes because of course karen still lives there right she's still right. living there and she's seen the country that she loves just i don't want to say wither away but it's just she yeah. knows it's and probably maybe going to come to an end maybe the life that she's living yeah.
1: like her. for the first time i've lived there 26 years yes. and for the first time ever my husband and i had a conversation maybe it was in um, July, yeah, before we came to the U.S., of should we stay or should we move? And Back then, wow. Well, after the national security law came in. Oh, oh, um, always. That same month when we could see things happening and we actually said, should we stay here? And that's the very first time we've ever talked about that for a reason other than, you know, where our kids are or, you know, retiring or something like that. And that was kind of like, I don't want to have this conversation. Right. (laughs) I really don't want to have to think about that. I think it's, you know, it's kind of a rude awakening. Um, But yeah, it was, it's a reality now.
0: Yeah. And when you read, you know, articles about families who are really packing their bags to move, mm-hmm. and we're not talking about expats who already had family in the States or wherever they're moving to, right? You know, the, the article I shared from the New York Times is a very local Hong Kong family, um, very kind of middle class family who decided to move yeah. to Scotland just because they didn't feel secure. Yeah. And it's their framing and they're thinking about their kids growing yeah, up. And the they- yeah. yeah.
1: Right. That's what it is. That they don't want their kids to grow up in a place that is basically you know ruled by the Chinese Communist Party.
0: And, you and they're quite at-
1: afraid of
2: their the freedom. Their, their their limited speech. What can they say? What can't they say? That's not going to get them into trouble. And, and they want their children to grow up with the same freedoms that they grew up with.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, it makes me think about all the know, kind of. But I don't
2: know.
0: Yeah you know, the immigrant issue here in the States and people who have yeah. to, of course, all of these are, you know, it, it's really hard to kind of put them in the same box, but it makes you think about, you know, what life means when you don't feel stable in a place that compels you to move, uproot your whole family and and not know what the future holds for you. Yeah. And, you, be, you,
1: you know, there are already people who are going to another country and claiming, Political asylum, you know, there was a 15 year old girl who went to the UK. She was the girlfriend of a young protester who was arrested. And she oh just said, gosh. I no longer feel safe. It's just a matter of time in Hong Kong before the police come and get me. And, you know, you're 15 years old and you're seeking political asylum from a place like Hong Kong. I mean, it's not like there are, you know there's there's armed militia in the streets trying to shoot you. This is Hong Kong, but even so they don't feel safe and you know that's that's the thing like if you don't feel free and safe you become a refugee and it's, it's just extraordinary to see it happen from a modern city like hong kong and i mean to add to elena's points you know i i grew up in mm-hmm. sydney um i lived in singapore i lived and worked in london my husband's american i've spent a lot of time in the us so i've never lived here and that one of the reasons we stayed in Hong Kong so long is that it constantly provides new opportunities. Mm-hmm. It's, it was a great place to work. It's a great place to raise kids. Mm-hmm. It's a great place to be entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. And even today after 26 years, I still feel like, oh, there's so many things I haven't done yet. And, there are, and the people are amazing. I mean, the people that mm-hmm. still have that can-do attitude. So mm-hmm. if you have an idea, you mm-hmm. take it to somebody and they say, yeah, let's try that, why not? Ah. You know, mm-hmm. it, they're not like weighed down by oh, we're not allowed to do that, or that's too difficult, or mm-hmm. we've no one's ever done that before. So, you know, how could we possibly do it? It still has that spirit mm-hmm. of yeah, let's try it. Why, you know, what's what what what's the worst that can happen? We fail, mm-hmm. um, or we do it differently, and that's something you don't find in many places. And and I think the other thing you also don't find in many places is that you like people are just so wanting to connect and willing to, you know, help you out or do something together. There's not that sort of clickiness that I think you find in other places where people are like, I don't know you, so I don't want to do anything with you. Mm. I mean, even even this year, I've done new projects with brand new people and people are just like, okay, great, you can do that. Let's do it. Um, and that welcoming attitude is, is, especially on the professional side, I think is amazing. I, I think you also don't find that in many other places.
0: Yeah, I think about the younger generation now because we're on the cusp of this kind of real tremendous change in 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 the sense of feeling like the, the opportunities. Because your sons, um, I don't know, Karen, you have um, three boys and um, one of them was actually a, a photojournalist during the protest time. I wanted to bring us back to kind of when things were really kind of um, cracking down on kind of like the peak of the protest and what that meant. And Elena, you were here, so, I mean, in in New York or or Sag Harbor and, and seeing that in a distance just on media must be a very different experience for you. But how do you both feel about, when you, when you see that, when you see the millions, millions, I mean, this is a crazy number to be in the streets in Hong Kong um, packed like ants, which we could not do in COVID times, absolutely not. But, you know, to think about that, kind of energy and what was going on. Can you maybe ex- share a little bit about what Jordan felt being in the Aiden. heart of- Aiden, yeah. yeah, oh, Aiden. Aiden. yeah sorry. Yeah.
1: So, so just to, to give the context, so my eldest son, Aiden, graduated from university in the US, wanted to take a gap year to do photography and considered several other places and finally realized that Hong Kong, where he grew up, was the place where the story of his lifetime was happening. So he went back um, really having had, he's he's a good photographer, but he'd never had actual sort of photojournalism, daily news coverage experience. But within two weeks managed to find his feet, connect with a few other more experienced journalists, get all the right protective equipment, the gas mask and helmet and (laughs) the, the high visibility vest. Mm-hmm. Um, he registered with a photo agency and then he was out on the streets um, every day. So he'd go out whenever there was a protest, usually they started at 2 p.m. So he'd go out there and follow people. So literally, you, you just he would just follow the crowd um, taking photos the whole time, maybe till midnight, one o'clock in the morning. Then he'd come home and upload photos till four or five in the morning. And he you know uploaded them to this photo agency, which then shops them out to news platforms. And he was you know pretty successful in that within three weeks his photos were being published in the Wall Street Journal mm-hmm. wow. website, Bloomberg's website, CNBC's website. Um, and it was just kind of he was in the right place at the right mm-hmm. time doing the right thing. But the other thing that was I think, really interesting for him and far more important was that, you know, he realized, and which is something that we always knew, he grew up as a pretty carefree expat kid. You know, he went to a nice uh, international school, he lived in a nice apartment, he had a driver to drive him to school every day. And then for fun, he would go to Causeway Bay and have dinner with his friends and Lan Kwai Fong to go clubbing. He never really growing up understood Hong Kong, its politics. Mm-hmm. Um, what the concerns of local people were, um, what was at stake. Mm-hmm. and But through that process, he educated himself. You know, he, uh, he tried to understand what is the basic law? What is this whole um, extradition treaty that started all the protests? Mm-hmm. What, what was that about? What is Hong Kong's um, system of government? Mm-hmm. So within a matter of a month or two, he really changed because he finally mm-hmm. understood what Hong Kong was about. And also going to all the protests, he met local people and especially local young people. So people his age, you know, people, and people younger than him, like high school kids mm-hmm. who were out there on the streets protesting. And, you know, he would take photos of them. He interviewed some of them and it really changed his, you um, you know, the way he cares about Hong Kong. So he really, he cares about it now from an existential point of view. It's not just, oh, you know, I like to go back to Hong Kong and go have hot pot. He's he's following it, you know, whenever uh, he knows what's happening in the, say, the district councils, he knows, he he covered that election and he knew how many seats were at stake and who the... um, Candidates were and what happened. He ended up writing an article uh, on it for um, the Telegraph of the UK. And so it really changed him in a, in a positive way. And mm-hmm. through that, he also just follows what's happening in the world mm-hmm. a lot more and understands why it why it matters. You know, why do people do this? Why do people go out on the streets and possibly get arrested, tear-gassed? um get hit by rubber bullets why do they do that now he understands why that you know they're they're fighting for something that for them this is the only way left to Mm -hmm. express what they want so i think that for me seeing him do that Mm -hmm. it was was really quite extraordinary because that's an education that i don't Mm -hmm. think he could get get anywhere
0: else lifetime and you also think about his lens he's there at the war zone, you know, like when they w- w- was he there at the university when they had that kind of blocked out part where the police were kind of really trying to get in there and you know they turned the university into this real you know plan uh strategy to fight the 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 police and to think about his lens within that space where you see people, the passion of youths um, fighting for something that is so important to their future, which they, like you say, he never really felt was kind of um, uh, at risk for himself. Um, but I'm just thinking visually and sounds like a war zone. You know, you see, you hear things happening to you um, that you don't have as a privilege of an expat. So I wanted to pull it back to like, I keep saying we are so privileged. We don't We've, we've had such a comfortable life, you know. We see things from a distance, we see things on media, and then we judge things from media because it just puts together this whole picture and we don't see the little details. I don't know, Elena, do you do you feel because you know you didn't see that you you actually came out at the mm-hmm. safe right time before it all started yeah. erupting, right? That the umbrella movement was happens yeah. right after you right. left. yellow the yellow umbrella movement. Yes. I know. Yeah.
2: I mean, you would see this on television and it seemed I, like a, a movie, it, it didn't seem like if this was Hong Kong because Hong Kong is such the 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 people of Hong Kong are so passive and they're just so law abiding and nobody <laughs> would uh, you never think of them as being protesters. But at the same time, when you started learning about why they were doing this, which meant, uh, you you started to understand just really how blind maybe we had been or, or the kind of bubble that we lived in as expats. We didn't really didn't know or don't know uh, what it was really like for maybe a local Hong Kong person, you know, growing up, especially the young um, the young people. And they were starting to see the writing on the wall that they were not going to have the same, maybe privileges um, as the adults uh, have. I mean, I, I did talk to my kids and of course they only remember the great things about Hong Kong and the freedoms that they had. And What are the things friends- they remember? Well, they remember, you know, going to uh, the school and all their international friends that they had, the traveling that they were able uh, to do because it was so easy to travel throughout uh, the rest of Asia. They remember uh, having help at home
0: and how they could... That's they to, huge. That's huge. You have to do any chores. we <laughs> have to do any chores. Here. Elena, I'm sure you remember that too because you didn't want to go in the kitchen for a long time. <laughs>
2: I was just sharing nick that's very true. I was just telling Karen... That it took me like three years to finally feel comfortable in the kitchen. I was because I had such a I had the Uber helper at home who was the fantastic cook. And she was great with the kids and she drove. I mean, she, I, I could really live this life and raise a family and you was know, extremely privileged. <laughs> but that was a, a nice thing, of course, that we did have and that a lot of expats um, have in, in in Hong Kong. So we seeing these things, these protests uh, in the news. It was just so foreign and unbelievable. I just couldn't imagine that there could be um, such a unison. You know, with with two million people, right, marching Mm -hmm. during in in June of two thousand nineteen to demand their 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 freedoms. They didn't want to lose their freedoms, and 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 they were they were going to show. uh, that they were united and that some somehow what they want should matter yeah. I mean, it was a huge matter. you think about it uh there are what almost is this seven million seven million, yeah. 7 million people that live in hong kong you're talking a, you know 40 percent
1: that a- march out is that crazy yeah, yeah. and and but here's the thing: that the government will say, "Oh, it one, it was it was wasn't that many people." You know, they'll they'll always downplay the numbers. Yeah, yeah. And I think what people are worried about is they'll try to rewrite history. That they will maybe one day they'll say, "Oh, this didn't happen." You know, this really didn't happen. Well,
0: there were some conspiracy theories that they had uh, kind of photoshopped the crowd pictures. They're saying that this chunk was added into this chunk, and you look, it's just like, yeah.
1: Right, right. So it's interesting. One one project that came out of this is um, is a photography book mm-hmm. that was put together by a small group of um, journalists and interested people who have remained anonymous, mm-hmm. and they've been selling it since I think it came out in May this year. the the first you know round of publishing. Um, And Aiden is, he has some photos in it. There's probably like photos from 35 photojournalists in it. Uh uh And it's important because it shows that these things did happen. There's a photographic record of them happening. uh, And the book is not available for Uh open sale in Hong Kong because they're worried Mm -hmm. that it's-
0: See, that lack of freedom again, it's real.
1: Yeah, it's subversive, you know. it's called defiance, and mm.
0: um, you can't def- even say that word now. I think in Hong Kong without getting in trouble because that's anti-China government.
1: Yeah, you have to be so careful. I mean, here, here's the ridiculous thing. So, you know those Lenin walls that, yeah. that yeah. The post-it, the sticky tapes. post-it notes they, they 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 like stick all these little yeah. post-it notes up with slogans. So after the national security law, one of the sort of pro-democracy cafes that had a lot of these post-it notes up took them down and replaced them with blank post-it notes oh with no writing on them but everybody knew the meaning they were visited by the police and asked to take those blank post-it notes down
0: (laughs) they're very creative i you have to say and there are songs where they cleverly put in lyrics that seemingly have nothing to do with protests, but you read between the lines and you go, oh, this is all about it. So it's brilliant. And there's just goes to show that it's not necessarily just defiance, but that resilience and that kind of energy uh, of the Hong Kong people, that spirit that can't ever be taken away, you know, and you see it through the creative arts. I think we need a little small break one more time and we'll come back and we'll maybe hopefully wrap it up with some um, beautiful memories of Hong Kong, not to say that it's all gone. I mean there. are still some precious things about the place and um maybe we can just you know hope for a better 2021 so <laughs> don't go away so i'm here with karen and elena uh as good friends from hong kong but from different Places and nationalities, I have to say, because you know, bringing in the whole multicultural lens onto uh, talking about Hong Kong or, or feeling displaced or feeling like the sense of freedom is taken away from us, it, it does make a difference. So I wanted to bring in a little bit more of your uh, context of who you are. So Karen, you grew up in Australia and Elena, California, mm-hmm. um, maybe add a little bit more, um, about your upbringing, how that might have shaped your views of, um, I guess we're talking about freedom and we're talking about kind of like dealing with unstable ground, if you will. So maybe give a little bit of that background of yours.
2: I grew up in California. That is correct. I, I, my, I'm first generation Mexican American. Um, My parents had immigrated from Mexico to the U S before, of course, before they got married and et cetera. And I, as I grew up, I was very, very much aware of the fact that I was uh, an immigrant or a child of immigrants and um, living in California, even though there's a huge Hispanic uh, population, you know, still felt a little, uh, you know, like I, that I didn't necessarily maybe didn't completely belong. I did as long as I was in my neighborhood, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but I knew, of course, I was a, An American citizen. And as we grew up, we would visit Mexico a lot, which was a really nice way of uh, being in touch with my culture, you know, and the language and whatnot. And I just never thought when I lived in California that I would ever leave California. My family alone, because you're in Hispanic families, you're so tight-knit that you never leave. (laughs) It kind of comes... And they all, you know, mom lives down the street, your brother lives across the street, you know, your sister lives, et cetera. Um, and leaving to New York after I married uh, my husband was a huge shift. Um, and that felt like a foreign country. And then leaving from New York to live in Hong Kong was another, I, I don't know, it was more like of an adventure. Oh, and in between, by the way, while I was in high school, I actually did live in Mexico City for a year where I attended university. So I had a little bit of that in me already to not be afraid to venture out. Um, Of course, leaving from California to Mexico was a lot different than leaving California to live in New York City and leaving New York City to live in Hong Kong. Uh, Now, of course, when uh, my husband and I left to live in Hong Kong, it was just the two of us. We didn't have children. So and we were still, you know, we were still young. We were in our early thirties, and you, you go and it's an adventure, and Hmm. it was Hmm. a fantastic adventure. I think you first have to have a certain, I think, type of um, attitude to be able to become an expat, not be afraid of that change, not be afraid of not fitting in, and making it work. Um, and, and staying, of course, busy, uh, I met probably the most fantastic, most interesting people that I had ever met living in Asia. And we were supposed to be there only for two years or three years. And so this is what happens with a lot of expats. Uh, they end up liking it so much. They end up staying, um, they find ways of making it work and staying because there were so many privileges of living as an expat in a place like Hong Kong, which is fantastic. It's a definitely a first class city. And I could say that from having had the experience of growing up in Los Angeles and living in Los Angeles, living in Mexico city, another fantastic city, living in New York city, but I can tell you living in Hong Kong was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. We lived there for almost 15 years, had our three children there. And I feel so privileged to have had the opportunity to live there and i and i and i love asia you know i yeah. just i just learned to love asia the culture and i've made great friends i'm still great friends with a lot of people like yourselves which i ladies
0: i love so much um and, and you can live- travel you can like hop on a plane and go to another country for a weekend uh, yes
1: yes <laughs> yeah, <I> used to <laughs> so it was it was a
2: fantastic privilege and it, and it does make me sad I, when you when we went on break i asked karen karen is this making you sad mm. about hong kong and she said yes because of course karen still lives there right she's still right. living there and she's seen the country that she loves just i don't want to say wither away but it's just she yeah. knows it's and probably maybe going to come to an end maybe the life that she's living right
1: like for the first time i've lived there 26 years yes. and for the first time ever my husband and i had a conversation Maybe it was in um, July, yeah. Before we came to the US, of should we stay or should we move? And huh. back then, wow. Well, after the national security yeah. law came in, oh, oh um, I that same month okay. when we could see things happening, and we actually said, should we stay here? And that's the very first time we've ever talked about that for a reason other than you know where our kids are or you know, retiring or something like that. And that was kind of like, I don't want to have this conversation. <laughs> right? Yeah. I really don't want to have to think about that. And I think it's, you know, it's kind of a rude awakening. Um, but yeah, it was, it's a reality now.
0: Yeah. And when you read, you know, articles about families who are really packing their bags to move, mm-hmm. and we're not talking about expats who already had family in the States or wherever they're moving to, right? You know, the, the article I shared from the New York Times is a very local Hong Kong family, um, very kind of middle-class family who decided to move yes. to Scotland just because they didn't feel secure. Yes. And it's frightening, and they're thinking about their kids growing yeah, up and the they borderline. Yeah.
1: Right. That's what is that They don't want their kids to grow up in a place that is basically, you know, ruled by the Chinese Communist Party.
2: And, you're and they're quite at- afraid of their the freedom, their, their, their limited speech. What can they say? What can't they say? That's not going to get them into trouble. And, and they want their children to grow up with the same freedoms that they grew up with.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, it makes me think about all the I
2: know. kind of... I, I don't know. Yeah
0: you know, the immigrant issue here in the States and people who have yeah. to, of course, all of these are, you know, it, it's really hard to kind of put them in the same box, but it makes you think about, you know, what life means when you don't feel stable in a place that compels you to move, uproot your whole family and, and not know what the future holds for you. Yeah. And, you, be,
1: you you know, there are already people who are going to another country and claiming Political asylum. You know, there was a 15-year-old girl who went to the UK. She was a girlfriend of a young protester who was arrested. And she just said, I no longer feel safe. It's just a matter of time in Hong Kong before the police come and get me. And, you know, you're 15 years old and you're seeking political asylum from a place like Hong Kong. I mean, it's not like there are, you know, there's, there's armed militia in the streets trying to shoot you. This is Hong Kong. But even so, they don't feel safe. And you know that's that's the thing. Like, if you don't feel free and safe, you become a refugee. And it's it's just extraordinary to see it happen from a modern city like Hong Kong. And I mean, to add to Elena's points, you know, I I grew up in mm-hmm. Sydney, um, I lived in Singapore, I lived and worked in London. My husband's American. I've spent a lot of time in the U.S., so I've never lived here. And that one of the reasons we stayed in Hong Kong so long is that it constantly provides new opportunities. Mm-hmm. It's, it was a great place to work. It's a great place to raise kids. Mm-hmm. It's a great place to be entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. And even today after 26 years, I still feel like, oh, there's so many things I haven't done yet. And there are, and the people are amazing. I mean, the people that mm-hmm. still have that can do attitude. So mm-hmm. if you have an idea, mm-hmm. you take it to somebody and they say, yeah, let's try that. Why not? Yeah you know mm-hmm. it, they're not like weighed down by oh we're not allowed to do that or that's too difficult or mm-hmm. we've no one's ever done that before so you know how could we possibly do it it still has that spirit mm-hmm. of yeah let's try it Why, you know what's what what what's the worst that can happen we fail mm-hmm. um or we do it differently and that's something you don't find in many places and and i think the other thing you also don't find in many places is that you like people are just so wanting to connect and willing to, you know, help you out or do something together. There's not that sort of clickiness that I think you find in other places where people are like, I don't know you, so I don't want to do anything with you. Mm. I mean, even even this year, I've done new projects with brand new people and people are just like, okay, great, you can do that. Let's do it. Um, and that welcoming attitude is, is especially on the professional side, I think is amazing. I, I think you also don't find that in many other places.
0: Yeah. I think about the younger generation now, because we're on the cusp of this kind of real tremendous change in 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 the sense of feeling like the, the opportunities. Because your sons, um, I don't know, Karen, you have um, three boys, and um, one of them was actually a, a photojournalist during the protest time. I wanted to bring us back to kind of when things were really kind of... Um, cracking down on kind of like the peak of the protest and what that meant. And Elena, you were here so, I mean, in, in New York or or Sag Harbor and and seeing that in a distance just on media must be a very different experience for you. But how do you both feel about when you, when you see that, when you see the millions, millions, I mean, this is a crazy number to be in the streets in Hong Kong um, packed like ants, which we could not do in COVID times, absolutely not. But, you know, to think about that, kind of energy and what was going on. Can you maybe share a little bit about what Jordan felt being in a heart Aiden, Aiden yeah. Right. Oh, Aiden. Aiden. Yeah, sorry. Yeah.
1: So, so just to, to give the context, so my eldest son, Aiden, graduated from university in the US, wanted to take a gap year to do photography and considered several other places and finally realized that Hong Kong, where he grew up, was the place where the story of his lifetime was happening. So he went back um, really having had, he's he's a good photographer, but he'd never had actual sort of photojournalism, daily news coverage experience. But within two weeks managed to find his feet, connect with a few other more experienced journalists, get all the right protective equipment, the gas mask and helmet and (laughs) the, the high visibility vest. Um, he registered with a photo agency and then he was out on the streets um, every day. So he'd go out whenever there was a protest, usually they started at 2 p.m. So he'd go out there and follow people. So literally, you, you just he would just follow the crowd um, taking photos the whole time, maybe till midnight, one o'clock in the morning. Then he'd come home and upload photos till four or five in the morning. And he, you know, uploaded them to this photo agency, which then shops them out to news platforms. And he was, you know, pretty successful in that. Within three weeks, his photos were being published in the Wall Street Journal mm-hmm. wow. website, Bloomberg's website, CNBC's website. Um, and it was just kind of he was in the right place at the right mm-hmm. time, doing the right thing. But the other thing that was, I think really interesting for him and far more important was that, you know, he realized, and which is something that we always knew, he grew up as a pretty carefree expat kid. You know, he went yes. to a nice uh, international school, right. he lived in a nice apartment, he had a driver to drive him to school every day. And then for fun, he would go to Causeway Bay and have dinner with his friends and Lang Kwai Fong to go clubbing. He never really growing up understood Hong Kong, its politics mm-hmm. Um, what the concerns of local people were, um, what was at stake, mm-hmm. and but through that process, he educated himself. You know, he uh, he tried to understand what is the basic law, what is this whole um, extradition treaty that started all the protests. Mm-hmm. What what was that about? What is Hong Kong's um, system of government? Mm-hmm. So within a matter of a month or two he really changed because he finally understood what hong kong was about and also going to all the protests he met local people and especially local young people so people his age you know people and people younger than him like high school kids mm-hmm. who were out there on the streets protesting and you know he would take photos of them he interviewed some of them and it really changed his um you know, the way he cares about Hong Kong. So he really, he cares about it now from an existential point of view. It's not just, oh, you know, I like to go back to Hong Kong and go have hot pot. (laughs) He's following it, you know, whenever uh, he knows what's happening in the, say the district councils, he knows, he he covered that election and he knew how many seats were at stake and who the, candidates were and what happened. He ended up writing an article uh, on it for um, the Telegraph of the UK. And so it really changed him in a a positive way. And Mm -hmm. through that, he also just follows what's happening in the world Mm -hmm. a lot more and understands why why it matters. You know, why do people do this? Why do people go out on the streets and possibly get arrested, tear gassed, um, get hit by rubber bullets. Why do they do that? Now he understands why. That you know they're they're fighting for something that for them this is the only way left to express what they want. So I think that for me seeing him do that, mm. it was was really quite extraordinary because that's an education that i don't mm-hmm. think he could get he could yeah. get anywhere else
0: so in lifetime and you also think about his lens he's there at the war zone you know like when they was he there at the university when they had that kind of blocked out part where the police were kind of really trying to get in there and you know they turned the university into this real you know plan uh strategy to fight the, the, the police. And to think about his lens within that space where you see people, the passion of youths um, fighting for something that is so important to their future, which they, like you say, he never really felt was kind of um, uh, at risk for himself. Um, but I'm just thinking visually and sounds like a war zone. You know, you see, you hear things happening to you um, that you don't have as a privilege of an expat. So I wanted to pull it back to like, I keep saying we are so privileged. We don't We've, we've had such a comfortable life, you know, we see things from a distance, we see things on media, and then we judge things from media, because it just puts together this whole picture, and we don't see the little details. I don't know, Elena, do you do you feel because, you know, you didn't see that you you actually came out at the safe, right time before it all started erupting, right? The, the umbrella movement was happens the right after right you left. yellow The yellow
2: umbrella movement, yes, I know, yeah. I mean, you would see this
0: on television, and it
2: seemed like a movie. It, it didn't seem like this was Hong Kong because Hong Kong is such the 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 people of Hong Kong are so passive and they're just so law abiding and nobody <laughs> would uh, you'd never think of them as being protesters. But at the same time, when you started learning about why they were doing this, which meant, uh, you want, you started to understand just really how blind maybe we had been, or, or the kind of bubble that we lived in as expats, we really didn't know or don't know uh, what it was really like for maybe a local Hong Kong person, you know, growing up, especially the young um, the young people. And they were starting to see the writing on the wall that they were not going to have the same maybe privileges um, as the adults. Uh, have I mean, I, I did talk to my kids, and of course, they only remember the great things about Hong Kong and the freedoms that they had. And what are the things friends- they remember? Well, they remember you know going to uh, the school and all their international friends that they had, the traveling that they were able uh, to do because it was so easy to travel throughout uh, the rest of Asia. They remember uh, having help at home and how they could
0: That's huge. That's huge. You didn't have to do any chores. You not have to do any chores. Here <laughs> Elena, I'm sure you remember that too, because you didn't want to go in the kitchen for a long time. You I, do chores?
2: <laughs> I was just sharing Nick, that's very true. I was just telling Karen that it took me like three years to finally feel comfortable in the kitchen. I was because I had such a, I had the Uber helper at home who was the fantastic cook and she was great with the kids and she drove, I mean, she, I I could really live this life and raise a family and it was extremely <laughs> privileged. <laughs> but yeah. that was a, a nice thing, of course, that we did have and that a lot of expats um, have in, in, in Hong Kong. So we, we've seen these things, these protests uh, in the news. It was just so foreign and unbelievable. I just couldn't imagine that there could be um, such a unison, you know, with, with two million people right marching mm-hmm. during in, the, in June of 2019 to uh, demand their, their their freedoms. They didn't want to lose their freedoms and, 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 and they were they were going to show uh, uh, that they were united and that some somehow what they want should matter. Yeah. it was a huge amount of, you think about it uh, there are what almost is this 7 million? seven million yeah seven million people that live in Hong Kong. you're yeah. talking a you know forty percent that's
1: that a- march out. is that crazy? Yeah. yeah and and but here's the thing that the government will say, oh, it won it was it was wasn't that many people. you know they'll they'll always downplay the numbers. yeah yeah, but I think what people are worried about is they'll try to rewrite history that they will, maybe one day they'll say, oh, this didn't happen. You know, this really didn't happen. Well,
0: there were some conspiracy theories that they had uh, kind of photoshopped the crowd pictures. They're saying that this chunk was added into this chunk and you look and it's just like, yeah.
1: Right, right. So it's interesting, one, one project that came out of this is, um, is a photography book mm. that was put together by a small group of um, journalists and interested people. Who have remained anonymous, uh-huh. and they've been selling it since I think it came out in May this year. the The first, you know, round of publishing. Um, and Aidan, is he has some photos in it. There's probably like photos from 35 photojournalists in it, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and it's important because it shows that these things did happen. There's a photographic record of them happening. Uh, And the book is not available for open sale in Hong Kong because they're worried Mm. that it's... See,
0: that lack of freedom, again, it's real.
1: Yeah, it's subversive, you know. Um, It's called defiance. and Mm.
0: um, You can't even say that word now, I think, in Hong Kong without getting in trouble because that's anti-China government.
1: Yeah, you have to be so careful. I mean, here's the ridiculous thing. So... You know, those Lennon walls that, yeah, that yeah. The post-it, the sticky little post-it notes, they, they, they like stick all these little yeah. post-it notes up with slogans. So after the national security law, one of the sort of pro-democracy cafes that had a lot of these post-it notes up, took them down and replaced them with blank post-it notes oh.
0: like,
1: with no writing on them. everybody knew the meaning. They were visited by the police and asked to take those blank post-it notes down.
0: (laughs) They're very creative, you have to say. And there are songs where they cleverly put in lyrics that seemingly have nothing to do with protests, but you read between the lines and you go, oh, this is all about it. So it's brilliant. And there's just goes to show that it's not necessarily just defiance, but that resilience and that kind of energy uh, of the Hong Kong people, that spirit that can't ever be taken away, you know, and you see it through the creative arts. I think we need a little small break one more time and we'll come back and we'll maybe hopefully wrap it up with some um, beautiful memories of Hong Kong, not to say that it's all gone. I mean there. still some precious things about the place and um maybe we can just you know hope for a better 2021 so don't go away back here with karen Cohen, and elena croatman all the way uh in long island specifically If people know the uh the hamptons and here i'm in honolulu and we are talking about the old days of Hong Kong and what's happened in light of the um, political situation now. And I wanted to bring in, you know, kind of in light of so many other things, you know, with COVID, I was just there in, uh, what, the summer, and that's when the, you know, big national security law was um, enacted. and. I was also there when they had the second lockdown of COVID. So after I had my quarantine to get there, I was released for a week and we got to go to restaurants and see friends and then quickly after a week, it was like, okay, you can't go out with more than two people and you, restaurants shot at six o'clock. And so we had those things imposed and this was only half a year ago, not even, and now there is the new imposition because of the new cases. So. We can't talk about life without talking about COVID, unfortunately, and how that's really shaped and changed our lives and what new norms we have to deal with and what uh, ways we can productively kind of work around this, right? So you are both fortunately together in the same room, um, but often, yeah. I don't know if you should be. <laughs> but, you know, I, 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 I go further away. I know, I, know. <laughs> I am wearing
2: my mask, you know, and uh, try not to touch anything. Um, it, I know it's so difficult because I, I think we're making the best decisions that we could make. I, I'm being extremely responsible on my end, and I know Karen is also. And there has to be a little bit of a trust factor. But I know that maybe a little bit inside of me is saying, "Oh, is this being a little careless?" And I am going indoors, and and I know Karen's feeling the same way. We're all feeling it, but. Uh, uh, you know, everyone's, I think, making the kind of rules for themselves that make the most sense, and and you have to also be respectful of how everyone else around you are. I have a girlfriend of mine. Uh, her name is Donna, and she won't come inside my house at all. We, if she knows I have, have guests, then she, she she won't even call me for like two weeks, knowing that I was exposed to someone else. And so, mm-hmm. you know, she's. Everyone has is doing what they're, what they can. But, yeah. um, in terms of, 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 trying to be careful and living with COVID, um, we, we were talking about flying. My sister came in from California on Friday. And so she had, uh, according to New York state, if you want to come into New York, you have to have a, a COVID test at least 72 hours before getting on an airplane. Right. And then once you land, you have to have another COVID, a negative COVID test within uh, and on the fourth day. And then you can test out. If you don't do this, then you have to quarantine for 14 days. So every state is different here because of our administration. There's no national
0: uh, rules, you know, no problem with it. Do you both have a problem with that? Because I feel like this whole individualism of this American spirit is going to take its toll and then it has, because it's like, well, I don't feel that somebody should be controlling me to tell me to wear a mask. And what kind of mentality is that? You know, coming from an Asian society where everyone complies for the sake of community. It's not about yourself. You know, how do you feel about that? You know, coming to a kind of a national context in America.
1: I mean, I think that's where you see the big difference, you know, so, so when you look at the, the tolerance of different countries for mm. cases, for example, you know, the lockdown they had in Melbourne, in Victoria, where my yeah. sister lived, it was 110 days of people really not being able to go out, you could go out for one hour a day for, mm-hmm. I think, the first month, and then you could go out for two hours a day, but only for one of four reasons, you know, to go grocery shopping, to exercise, to receive care or to give care. Otherwise, you could not go out, and the curfew they had went from eight p.m. till five a.m. and then nine p.m. till five a.m. And they they did this for one hundred and ten days, um, and there were some people who protested, but by and large, they managed to do it, and they got the cases down to zero. Yeah, it's incredible, yeah. right? Yeah. And then Hong Kong, I find, I feel like the government there has no goal; they they just respond to mm. cases, mm. so they don't tell you we want our you know, case number to be at a certain level, and we're comfortable with that. Or they don't say we want the transmission rate to be at a certain level and we're comfortable with that. They just kind of change the the distancing measures every time there's more cases. So they're very reactive, which is quite typical of Hong Kong. You know, they, it's always been a place where they haven't want to have had too much government intervention. So it's sort of, let's see what happens when we do this. Two weeks later, that's not working. Let's, go even harder mm-hmm. um and then the U.S. is just like free yeah. for all I came here mm-hmm. uh, four weeks ago or three and a half weeks ago I did a COVID test before I came nobody asked to see it mm-hmm. um I all I had to do was fill in a online form health declaration saying I hadn't been in contact with anybody and I'd taken the test and it was negative blah 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 yeah. um, and then literally as I had already collected my bags from the from the baggage carousel and was about to leave the terminal there's some people with tables going excuse me have you filled in this form and I said yeah I did here's the screenshot and they're like okay thank you bye (laughs) and there was like nothing yeah no follow-up um fortunately out here people have been pretty good about wearing masks like in here in the Hamptons Mm -hmm. I'd say Mm -hmm. 99% Mm -hmm. of people are wearing masks all the time well at this
0: point you'd think
1: Yeah, they are social distance, but of course, you know, different demographics have different
0: Mm -hmm. things.
1: So I I know like young people still are not so worried about it, so they might be getting together more often.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that. I, I wanted to wrap it up with us. You know, we can't escape uh, my obsession with uh, sexuality. And you think about the young people, seriously, in COVID times and restrictions and the need for sex. I think a lot of people who are need for touch, we're going to forget just sex, but just the need for touch. And for teens or young adults who feel that, you know, that physiological need how to navigate that in this COVID virtual world, are people having a lot of like virtual sex or, you know, I know people who have been breaking up because of COVID, but I don't understand why. It's not like you can go and hop into bed with another person and that makes it better. You know, what, what do you think of all that?
2: Oh my God. I hadn't even thought about that. I I had three kids and none of them are dating, but, um, I'm suspicious my youngest is watching porn. <laughs> I'm sure he is. <laughs>
0: well, that's, that's like the norm, right? That's a good given, right? I, I have to keep reminding him, it's not real. You know, porn is not real. <laughs> it's all acting.
2: It's all acting. No,
1: it's, um, it's tough. I mean, you know, two of my kids have girlfriends. You know, they're not anywhere near their girlfriends. You know, one of them, his girlfriends in Hong Kong. And so they will, they have no idea when they're gonna see each other next. So they just go on virtual dates. They do things together every day. Like they do the New York Times mini crossword together every day. They talk twice a day. And then the other son, his girlfriend is in California. She did come and visit him in October for three weeks. But again, I don't know, they don't know. I'm not sure if they know when they're gonna see each other again. But I, I do think that young people, actually, because of all the trauma of COVID, are looking more for intimacy, emotional intimacy and comfort, rather than just sex. I mean, yes, sex would be nice, but (laughs) at a time when you can't have it, at least having that intimacy and that closeness is, Hmm. it's the second, I guess, the second best substitute. And I, but I think it all over the the world, um, because I was in a number of, well, the show that I do in Hong Kong, we talked about this, uh, you know, sort of long distance dating or virtual dating. And I was recently on a women's panel where we we talked a bit about this as well. And um, there's a lot of solo, you know, maybe solo sex going on or solo mutual sex going on. There's the another
0: theory that masturbation is supposed to kind of help you uh, build up your immunity from COVID. <laughs> <laughs> it's very healthy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think there's a lot of that going
1: on. I mean, I'll tell you what, I did I did a show recently about sex tech, and I had a guest on who um, is the Asia-Pacific sort of marketing rep for... A sex toy company called wow tech and he said that at, from the pandemic their online online sales have gone through the roof yeah people are definitely using toys they're definitely going you know what if i can't be with anyone i'm just going to yeah. self-pleasure and so, the whole know, stigma around it has kind of broken down especially for women you know women women's pleasure and remember if you this. a
0: we, Elena it's and I, total we, had we had that guy come exactly. in to talk about sex toys. Remember, yeah. but yes. um, recently I have a student who's also an ambassador for some sex toys. And so she kind of showed us the kind of the new line of things. And it's so different now from just uh, a few years ago. There's the, 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 the technology uh, and the material and the aesthetics
1: the design, of, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. are incredible. Yeah.
1: And there's also a lot more focus on um women's pleasure and in a way that is not shameful you know it used to be shameful or it used to be oh no you know women don't get you know are not allowed to have their own pleasure but now it's it's very very different
0: yeah well i hope people are pleasuring themselves in ways that are meaningful <laughs> and festive fulfilling. yeah not with know. the stress you know <laughs> yeah so, gosh, um, I guess how do we end this up? Maybe give us a little thought for the coming new year and how we can maybe move forward in positive ways. What do you, what do you suggest to the world at this point? Mm,
2: Just I, give us a final. Yeah I, yeah, I think that next year is going to be fantastic. I think that, I, I, I think that all these things that have happened in the last. Few years have been, of course, sort of leading up to. I don't know, maybe a, some sort of reckoning that we've had to be very aware of the things that need to be taken care of, and 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 I see good things happening. I think that that uh, um, the vaccine is here, so that's a positive, at least out here in the U.S. Uh, I'm grateful for the new administration that will be coming in and the positive things that <laughs> yeah. will come because of that, and you know it, there's a lot of studies that indicate that even though things are really bad as a society we're actually much more caring and it it, it, it might not seem that way but we really are in a in a better uh place as a society yeah so I see good things happening and i am going to welcome that and i think that it has just maybe enlightened us uh, all the things that have happened at least out here with the black lives matter of course yeah of course in in, in Hong Kong with with the with the protests and and um because of course that's so close to our hearts right I'm just Mm -hmm. we all have you know I guess the worlds that we live in um COVID of course it's been huge but I really see good things happening and I think that because um we have to see the new year coming let's make those intentions you know make make wonderful positive intentions of, of saying right let's learn what we, have we learned from this and let's let's make
1: the change we want to make yeah be the change be that person
0: be that change great thank you well,
1: And I well, I think so much of it comes down to your mindset, you know, when you can't control what's going on out there, the only thing you can control is how you feel about it, how you react to it, what you say to people, how you connect to people. And, you know, of course, you're not going to feel great every day. And that's fine. There are Mm -hmm. going to be days when you wake up and you go like, please, let this day go by and be over. Or, you know, can I just stay in bed all day. But I think one thing for me that's been helpful this whole year is just to try to look on the positive side of things um, and stay connected with people um, and not to sort of beat yourself up about not being able to do something or go somewhere or see someone or experience something and look at alternatives. Um, you know, people have been really creative in what they've been able to do during this pandemic. So enjoy those things. You know, go on Instagram and and look at funny memes to make you laugh. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of those, be,
0: out. yeah. Yeah, that may
1: be the only thing that is gonna be happy in your day and that's fine. Um, and so I think this is kind of a test of human creativity you know we're we're kind of used to just cruising through and doing the same old thing so this has really been a time when you can do something different maybe and not everything's going to work and you're not going to like everything but at least at least you try it so I I sort of feel that's really the only thing you are going to be able to control is your attitude and how you um, behave and how you interact with people so if you know try and make it positive and try and make it fun that you've got to have some fun and some humor in your day to keep going
0: for sure so get out there today and go and have some fun yeah really appreciate both of you sharing and it was so Nice to be able to sit together, really, even if it's a virtual space, to be together to share memories of Hong Kong, to talk about hard truths and changes mm-hmm. now, and to know that we are reckoning with things that um, are creating new opportunities for new traditions. So, really appreciate that. Merry Christmas and um, from Merry Christmas Christmas everywhere. Christmas Happy yeah. New Year. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So uh, great. We talk. I know. We really miss yeah. you tremendously. Yeah.